Create, innovate, collaborate. Over the last five years, crowdfunding has moved from being a cool innovation to one of the mainstream ways of raising early stage capital for startups, small businesses and even charities and not-for-profits. The power of the crowd cannot be underestimated. And as a result, companies like Indiegogo, Kickstarter and others have become huge companies in their own right. However, it has divided the investment community and many traditional investors hate it, but many startup founders love it. And like anything in life, crowdfunding has both pros and cons, but it is here to stay and will continue to become a core component of the industry 4.0 infrastructure as we move further into the ideas economy. Our guest today is a true innovator and thought leader in the ongoing evolution of crowdfunding and is currently the co-founder and CEO of Possible and co-founder of Virtual, two startups that are focused at solving two very different problems by harnessing the power of the crowd. Please join me in welcoming to the show, Alan Crabb. Alan, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Fred. Uh, thanks for the introduction. It's great to have you on the show, Alan. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to becoming the founder of two crowdfunding platforms? <laughs> yeah, um, I suppose it starts back uh, back in the 2009. Um, actually, before I, I started uh, crowdfunding, um, I was providing a platform for uh, for artists in Australia. Actually, providing a platform for them to sell um, and pre-sell artwork online. And um, it was through that experience that um, I, I, I suppose, for the first time, worked with uh, struggling artists. And um, I also learned that um, it was actually pretty inefficient and, and, cost, and, and expensive, I see, to um, for even emerging artists to to build a, a reputation and build a, I suppose, a, a community and build a, a sustainable. Um, business around their art and um, that's what led me to to find I suppose at that time ways that I could actually help these guys make money um, for their art um, and uh, I suppose the concept um, so crowdfunding wasn't even a concept back when we started but um, I seen this as a, as a concept overseas in the music industry and um, that pretty much gave, us, gave me the inspiration um, of, of starting this actually so it was it was just a trend that I seen through a few publications um, particularly um, a music platform called Celeband in, in Amsterdam I said that was the the inspiration um, of, of I suppose creating a, the first platform in Australia. I have to admit I've probably been on the cynical side of crowdfunding as legitimizing a serious startup and I, I've sort of seen it as a serious science project for a long time but I'm coming around to the power of it can you give us a brief overview of the evolution of the crowdsourcing industry and where it's evolved to today? Yeah, so I suppose that, that uh, suppose starts out from where I started, I suppose, as well. Um, so back in, the, in 2009, 2010, uh, the concept of, of, of crowdfunding was really being born at that point. Like we, we were actually the first platform to call it crowdfunding uh, back in, in mid-2010. Um, and generally, it started out even in the first two or three years. I say it was very much in the creative industries. So it was musicians, filmmakers, artists, theaters, performers, all these kind of people that were, um, I suppose, very typically in the arts industry. Um, they were using it as a way to pre-sell um, products, EPs, 
tickets, all of these kind of things to their shows or to their, uh, or even content. So that's pretty much where it started. I, I think in 2013, it really exploded actually um, in terms of other use cases of, of crowdfunding. So we, we did have some early technology companies, um, maybe in, a, in 2012. Um, in 2013, it really exploded. So lots of design and, and, and I suppose product companies, like one in particular, I think Pedal, um, Pedal Watch, was was one of the most significant ones at that time, and it really spurred a whole industry, actually, of I suppose younger startups, particularly the people in the IoT space, using this as a model to pre-sell or sell um, to and, and build their first um, revenues and, and customers for a product before they even had something to sell them. And I suppose this is where. Um, a lot of people became quite cynical of, of crowdfunding because some projects were, were getting up um, and uh, typically they didn't really have much behind them. Um, and platforms like us had to evolve and change quite a bit very fast to, to deal with this as well. So um, in some cases, um, like we've, we've, we've just had to, like we, we've, we've had to find ways to, to deal with, I suppose, um, like everything else, um, like it, the, the platform being used for, for cases where it wasn't quite legit in, in some cases. But I mean, generally 95% of the, the the projects or campaigns or, or companies that are using this platform is, uh, are legit and they're, they're actually uh, like hopefully good operating uh, companies and teams behind them. Can you take us into how big the crowdfunding market is today both globally and within Australia? And, and in particular, do you, do you think we're, we're really just starting to harness this form of capital raising in Australia or are we a fair way into its evolution? Um, so maybe I should, I should stop and, and distinguish the difference maybe between some of the key models in crowdfunding today, actually. So, so what crowdfunding started out as um, has has now become a model of, of reward-based crowdfunding. So the likes of Possible, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, we're all reward-based platforms. So people are pre-selling and selling items and experiences. Um, that industry itself, um, I, I would reckon that, um, I, I would say that there's probably been about $10 billion has been transacted for campaigns and projects globally at the moment over the last uh, what was it seven, eight years now um, of reward-based crowdfunding? What we also have seen in about 2013, 2014 was the huge growth of donation-based crowdfunding for, I suppose, personal causes. So, for example, the GoFundMe is probably the, the best example of this, where it's, it's, it's very much personal appeals or personal donations um, through a platform um, for very personal causes. Um, we also have loan-based uh, crowdfunding, but I think it's tend to be called peer-to-peer lending these days. And then fourthly is, is equity crowdfunding. And this is getting a lot of traction these days because um, quite a few jurisdictions around the world is actually legislating this. Um, this in the jurisdictions that it operates has become pretty massive. So for example, in the UK at the moment, um, we do expect probably this year to see Probably in the region of four hundred million pounds being transacted um, for startups accessing equity crowdfunding. 
And this has surpassed like equity crowdfunding in the jurisdictions where it has been adopted very fast, or sorry, it has been legislated um, quite early. Um, we're seeing that in these markets that the the volume is actually surpassing uh, venture capital, which is which is pretty phenomenal. I suggest in the space of three to four years. That's absolutely incredible. What do you put that down to, Adam? So I, I put it down to the fact that I think um, like generally the equity markets, maybe more so outside of, of the US and, and maybe potentially Silicon Valley, um, are less maybe sophisticated in terms of um, companies um, that, that are leveraging equity crowdfunding. Um, and, and I mean, what I mean by that is, like, I, I reckon that equity crowdfunding, for example, is not maybe useful or valuable for every company, but for, for example, consumer companies or, uh, in the case of technology companies, maybe consumer-facing uh, technology companies, um, they can really sell the the vision and also sell the vision of um, or the value of, of what they're providing. Um, a larger customer base and be able to incentivize them into that as well. So um, I think that um, maybe it's, it's it's down to the fact that um, I think people, maybe the, the younger generation, um, they want to be more involved in, in the brands and the companies that they, that they maybe consume um, or they provide, like the, the user services of these companies. So I, I reckon there's um, there's a few things at play. I, I think it's not just one, I don't think it's just one thing that's that's causing this change. But um, I, do, I do think that even some of the, the recent, um, uh, like the exposure of, of cryptos and, and, and younger people, I suppose, experiencing investments, um, an early stage, I think that could be contributing actually to the, the higher growth of, I suppose, retail investors looking at opportunities. Yeah, I, I think it's really exciting, and, and you are. I, I completely echo that we're now seeing, uh, particularly millennials coming through who have high disposable incomes, are getting married much later in life. They are wanting to be a lot more involved in investing in companies that could. Be, completely change the future of how we're doing things. And I don't think we can underestimate that uh, in, in the current landscape. You've founded two crowdfunding companies, and I'm really glad that you, you broke apart the four categories of crowdfunding. It's, it's a distinction I've never made, and it's made it much clearer for me. You've, you've founded Possible and Virtual. Can you give us a quick overview of the difference in the mechanics between those two um, crowdfunding platforms and what problems they're specifically solving for? Um, yeah, that's a very good question to ask as well. So um, I think the the one key thing that's, I suppose, the biggest differentiator between the two platforms is that uh, like virtual as an equity crowdfunding platform is a, is a financial service. So we have to actually be provide, like we have to have a license and FSL in Australia to pretty much provide this as a service. So in terms of preparing a pitch from a, from a, a startup's perspective, they need to come to us um, pretty much being eligible and, and compliant with the legislation, but also provide like the content 
um, and the pitch itself has to be compliant with the regulations as well. So um, I suppose from one perspective, it's, it's a regulated environment um, and there is um, a bit of work that needs to be, a bit of extra work that needs to go into preparing a pitch um, on virtual. And at the end of the day, like you, you have responsibilities as a director to them shareholders as well. So it's, it's, it's a slightly different um, pitch to, to what a typical reward-based pitch would be where someone, well, even an individual can set up a, a campaign or a project is, is what we call it um, and run a campaign uh, and not be required to, to go to the level of detail uh, in terms of what the, what the individual or the business is going to provide in return for that investment. So, like a, it's 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 very different, but in a similar, like we, we we take a very similar approach to both. It's, it's just a lot more requirements on the people that are running the campaigns. Really, that's the, that's the biggest difference from a an investor perspective. Um, okay, with virtual, you you do get shares in the company that's operating the campaign, and potentially you do get rewards as well because we do operate as a hybrid platform as well. Um, that's that's generally the difference yeah that's really interesting are both platforms curated um so so possible um we we use an algorithm really um so we if if you're getting good traction with your project or your campaign and uh, we push up the page if that makes sense and push it yep. up the yep. the um the home page so virtual is is a is slightly more curated in a sense that not every company does get profiled early on the platform. Um, and that just could be due to them not being quite ready with their pitch itself just. So so generally we, we don't create, but with virtual, we just need to be a bit more cautious with the content. Understood. So can you take us through that process before a campaign that comes out on virtual is ready to ask for investment? What needs to be in place? Yeah. So um, we, we take a slightly different approach maybe in, in terms of the way that we provide our services and equity crowdfunding. So we're, we're slightly more open in the fact that you can set up a pitch deck. Um, you can set up a profile on the, the, the virtual platform. Um, and do we also, as part of our due diligence, encourage the companies to go through an expression of interest um, campaign. So, and what that really means is that um, the the companies, um, without spending or without putting too much, um, what would you say, uh, putting too much uh, spend, a uh, marketing spend into the campaign before they actually open to do a raise, they would pretty much gauge the demand or validate if there is a, an audience for of investment for their company. So, um, and we we do this. Um, First, as a, as a way to to start working with the company, but also um, we also learn quite a lot of um, of the of data from from running a campaign as, as as like a an expression of interest. For example, we we collect details on on why people are interested, um, how much they might invest, what kind of investors they are. All of this here data is very useful to understand um, the viability of this. Uh, 
company. I see using the um, equity crowdfunding as, as a way of raising capital. So if I hear you correctly, what you're saying is that you'll have an EOI type of process and that won't be a very polished pitch. It'll be a pitch deck. Would those pitches generally be automated, i.e. video and, and slideware that's been going out to get that interest back? Or is it more of a we put it out there and then we'll do we'll set up one-on-one video chats with people that are interested? How does it actually work? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so with an expression of interest, it's it's in the early stage, just getting the information of the people that are interested. But it's what the company does with that information is is, is really up to them. Like we we do encourage the companies to to reach out, chat. Um, even potentially host events and things in the lead up to to raise, um, and this is all about engagement with that group. Um, and it's and it's in some ways no different to to a typical capital raise a startup might go through. But um, you, you're doing it in a, I suppose a in a mass scale, where you're 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 hopefully being a bit more efficient with it, and and maybe even looking up after some of the bigger investors that might come through that raise as well. So. Um, the process itself, um, really, it's, it's all about content and promotion from an early stage with the EOI, uh, engagement through events, uh, webinars, one-on-one chats, meetings, all of these things. And then after that, it's, it's really about preparing the documentation, um, pretty much your, your uh, stripped-down prospectus, what we call the offer document, um, preparing that, the, the document itself, making sure that your offer is good, getting some feedback from the offer. And then once you're ready with everything like this, you, you pretty much go live with, the, with your raise on the platform. Got it. And typically how long would a campaign go for from initially coming onto the platform, working with virtual through a process to ensure all of that's done, running? Is that really up to the founder or have you found over – I think you've been doing this now for a year and a half, haven't you? So over that year and a half, have you found a, a sort of an, an average time that it takes to go from start to actually closing out a raise using virtual? Um, well, legally in, on virtual, you're allowed up to 90 days, uh, three months campaign. Okay. However, like my experience with Possible is that um, you want it to be, you want to do all of the work before you actually launch. And, and during the campaign itself, you, you don't want to be running a campaign for any more than a, a month, uh, maybe 40, 50 days max, um, because you want to condense them efforts into a much shorter period of time and, and hopefully close things out really fast. So with, with equity crowdfunding, you have a minimum and a maximum to raise in terms of your targets. My my objective is always be to close out the maximum as as fast as you possibly can. So, and that takes a bit of work beforehand. But once you're open for investment, it's it's about how quickly you can get that way. In my eyes, yeah. And on the investor side of the platform, is it mostly sophisticated retail investors that are coming onto the platform, or is there a mixture of angel networks and more sophisticated institutional investors as well? Um, it's, a, it's a real mix, actually. So we're seeing that everyone is playing in this space. Um, we're seeing funds, we're seeing VCs, we're seeing um, private angel investors, super angel investors. It, it's, it's pretty much everyone, actually. Like what really has changed with the equity crowdfunding is that they've, they've pretty much um, created a regime where, where it is really open to everyone to invest. So um, 
In terms of numbers, obviously, we're going to see probably a lot more retail investors than wholesale investors. Um, and that's in terms of their investment amount, because we're generally seeing what, where I reckon we'll see is we'll probably see investment coming to an average of probably about 2000 in Australia. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the most popular will be, will be less than $1,000 invested in each of these companies. Potentially the most popular being probably 250 in Australia. So it's, it's quite small, like a small investment amount in terms of retail investors. But we'll see hopefully lots, hopefully hundreds, thousands or tens of thousands of these over the next few years. Yeah. So one of the downsides of capitalizing in this way is the complexity of the number of investors that you need to manage. What steps uh, are you taking to eliminate that downside? Is that something that you leave up to the startup founder? Is it something that virtual works hand in hand with the startup founder to ease and and make easier? Yeah. Um, So in terms of uh, managing that list of uh, shareholders, um, there's there's two parts I think that we need to find solutions for and in terms of our clients. One is the communication aspect. Another one is the administration of the registry, including the details of, of each of the investors. So in terms of the communication side of things, we want, we want the companies to be, to be using virtual as a way to constantly update their investors and also their potential investors for the next round of investment. So we, we take care of this side of things and we've actually partnered with um, several uh, registry service providers that provide a service of administering um, their, their registry. And um, these services are, are quite new, but they, they've made it really accessible for, for private companies or public limited companies in this case to, to provide pretty much uh, administration and online uh, share certificate service for, for any investments. So you're really looking at keeping the startup on the platform through its entire life cycle, right through to exit by the sounds of things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like any startup finder knows that um, the close of one round is, is just the, the beginning of the next one. So, and, that, and that's the way that we built the platform. So once they get a profile up, um, we, we start working them, working with them for the, the first raise. And then as soon as we close it, it's, it's okay. How, why can we get the next list of potential investors for the next round of investment. I love that idea. So if a startup attracts a significant amount of investment through virtual, but at the same time has an institutional investor who wants to invest outside of the platform, can you do a combination of both or is it a one, is it an all or nothing proposition? Um, no, no, they, they can, they can, they can facilitate uh, investment in a variety of different ways. Like we, we would encourage them to, obviously bring sophisticated investors into an open round of investment, particularly if, it's, if it, they're running a, an equity crowdfunding at that time. But like we, we, I think we, we, when we first launched, we wanted everybody to be coming in and, and doing it on the platform. But to be quite honest, like we, we don't, we, we, it's, it's really up to the finders to be, to be making these kind of decisions, you know, but um, we, we, we already see sophisticated and retail uh, being involved in the same deal. And I think what we'll see in the future is that um, potentially um, maybe con- like institutional rounds of investments um, may be 
opened up uh, for retail as well. Hopefully, the same the same deal as as what constant or what the the institutions were getting. Yeah. So if I'm a startup founder listening to this show and I'm thinking to myself, maybe this is worth checking out. What advice would you give to those founders to make an assessment as to whether their project would be a good fit for virtual? Um, the, the, the first question I would add is that um, would, would you value uh, or would your startup value having potentially 10,000 investors invest into the success of the business? Um, and what I mean by that is generally, can you see these people being um, part of the growth story or be part of your narrative as a company? Because if you feel like that would make a huge difference to the success of the business or the, the, the growth or the acceleration of your growth of the business, um, you should definitely consider it. Uh, I think just better understanding some of the case studies that have, that have gone on internationally uh, particularly two case studies, I would say, or, or three case studies to look at. Uh, one being uh, BrewDog, which is um, maybe slightly different from a typical startup industry, but BrewDog is a, a craft beer company in the UK, and uh, they were actually one of the first to access equity crowdfunding globally. Um, they, were, uh, they were exempted from some of the regulations around uh, raising capital from, from larger numbers of people. Um, secondly, and more recently, we've got um, a couple of fintech companies in the UK, uh, one being Monzo and one being Revolut. Uh, these two companies have, have both done multiple rounds of equity crowdfunding and um, are the fastest growing, I think, fintech companies globally at the moment. So I think looking at some case studies, better understanding the, the, the model or the business model that you operate and how you can involve Potentially, investors into that is is the key. I think. Just speaking of case studies, can you take us through uh, one or two case studies of successful startups that have gone through the virtual platform? Um, so we we recently did a successful campaign for a fashion, a soccer fashion brand called Park, um, and uh, they they came to us um, early early twenty eighteen um, and. Uh, we, we pretty much operated uh, a, an expression of interest for them. Very early stage business. Um, they're looking to expand. Uh, they looked at this model and, and thought, okay, this could be a really great way to get, to activate um, uh, the finders' networks, connections, and also customer base into, into the brand. And um, he, um, he, uh, when did he run? He ran it on the 1st of June, I think, from, from the 1st of June to the 30th of June. Uh, and he raised 316,000 um, from 119 investors. That's not bad for a month's work. Yeah, yeah, I think he was pretty happy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say that this type of equity-based crowdfunding is more suited to B2C style of, of companies as opposed to B2B style? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think it's um, like from the data that I can collect on other jurisdictions. I, I generally see that um, the the companies that are doing the best, or at least achieving uh, the the best outcomes in terms of investments, um, are, are generally B two C. 
However, I've I've, all, I've I've already been proven wrong. Like um, we've seen some companies, um, one in particular in the in the property space, uh, a B two B business has to be be successful at equated crowdfunding. I think it really just comes down to the fact of can everyday people understand the business model or the product or technology that people are providing? Um, if a retail investor or your your everyday person on the street if they can grasp the, the business model and understand the product and, and potentially be emotionally connected to that, um, they will, they will be, they, they will have a good opportunity, I think, to, to access uh, retail investor, retail investment, and also be successful with equity crowdfunding. Yeah, I think that's really important because you are dealing predominantly with retail investors. Um, you know, having a value proposition that can be understood is critically important. Do you see this whole equity-based crowdsourcing or crowdfunding model developing towards more sophisticated business-to-business business models and having rather than retail investors, corporate investors and, you know, the big end of town VC firms or is it just too complex and it's too too big too, too large of a leap for those types of organizations to make to to conduct business in this way um no i i do i think this will this will change every this will, this will change the industry in, in many different ways i say i think okay technology is enabling this to happen in a much more efficient way um i definitely believe that um the the traditional finance sector the ways it's um, VCs, angels, or the way that startups raise capital, this will definitely have an impact because startups will, will be asking questions of why they can't take $10,000 investments or $20,000 investments um, um, of, of advisors, of, of people, you know. So I think um, like it, will be, it will be game-changing. It has already uh, been very game-changing in terms of the landscapes of other jurisdictions, particularly in the UK, like it, every industry is going through like a disruption, and and I I feel like equity crowdfunding is is one of the biggest disruptors in the, in the finance space, particularly with capital raising for for startups and early stage businesses. You've certainly opened my eyes to where it's heading, and just having this conversation. I completely agree. I I do see this as the way of the future in terms of just really making it easy for startups to get off the ground. You know, if they have a good value proposition, they can they've got something that's provable and it's translatable, then it's so much easier than going out and spending six months pitching after pitch after pitch after pitch after pitch. You know, um, it's almost like a demo day done virtually. <laughs> if you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Well. Um, I I agree. Just like on that, I think um, one of the, the beautiful things about equity crowdfunding is that you can be marketing and, and acquiring customers at the same time as raising capital. Because mm, you're talking, you're talking to the same audience. Yeah, yeah. Before we go, do you have any final tips for anyone considering putting together a crowdsourcing campaign? What are the things they need to think about? If there's five things that they need to think about, what would it be? Um, okay, five things. So, first one is: is this the right model uh, for raising capital for me and my business? In terms of, am I a B two C business or 
am I a B2B business that can leverage this? Can I get potentially hundreds of investors involved? Um, the second one is, is probably how do I acquire customers? Like what's the cost of acquisition? What are the key channels? Because these are the key channels that tend to be used um, quite a bit when it comes to preparing, like a, going out promoting to retail investors. So you're using the exact same user channels um, as, you, as you would as, a, as a acquiring customers. Um, the third one is, is probably, is, is your business at the stage to, to go through, um, are, are you comfortable at, at the stage of your business to, to take on hundreds of, or thousands of investors? Um, and I say that in a sense that you, you need a degree of governance in the business to be able to manage that level of investment and number of investors. So have you got the right team around you? Um, have you got the right advisors to help you through that process and also potentially help you prepare the offer documents? Um, because um, it's, it is a bit of a process, um, especially if you haven't done this before and you don't necessarily have the, the um, expertise around you. Um, fourthly is, I think... Um, like plan well, like uh, I know this is uh, this is uh, the most often um, explained uh, advice that you can give someone. But I, I I generally see that the most successful people with crowdfunding and equity crowdfunding are the people that have planned to be successful, and uh, this is just facilitating it. They're not putting a they're put they're not putting hope into a campaign because they've done the work behind the scenes to make it a success before it even launches. So I think planning is, is one of the critical ones. And I think fifthly is be creative as well. Like this is um, a regime that's built for retail and you want to be connecting with people um, and you want to connect in a way that hopefully you'll get some sort of emotional reaction or at least some reaction uh, and uh, hopefully create a bit of word of mouth as well. So uh, be creative, be fun, be engaging, and uh, don't take yourself too serious, even when you're raising investment. I really like that, and I, I love what you said about plan, don't hope. I think there's so many people who can, because it is such an easy process compared to having to go out and conduct pitch after pitch after pitch or do a demo day where you're in the spotlight and you're under pressure to just put it up there and hope for the best. And, and I love what you said about planning. Do you provide the services to assist specifically startups to do that planning or is it really up to the individual startup to do? Um, no, we, we do quite a bit, actually, like especially this early stage when we're, we're all trying to work out what's the most uh, effective ways to, to, to do a RIS through equity crowdfunding. So, um, no, we, we, we are pretty hands-on, I say, in terms of preparing and giving you or giving the startups access to the information that we have. Um, we work with them quite a bit on the planning stages. So working out what acquisition channels that they should consider, um, what data that we have on hand to show them that, or at least demonstrate um, success. Um, and also... I suppose the 
Um, the biggest thing is, is, is I suppose, giving uh, the companies like a, a way of testing these things, like our expression of interest service, um, encouragement around doing engagement pieces, information sessions. All of this comes from experience. Um, and everything we do is, is about de-risking um, potential failure or brand reputation for the company. So um, we, we, like I, I run two startups myself and um, I, I don't want companies to have a negative experience or I don't want their brands to be negatively impacted by this. And I think equity crowdfunding has the potential of negatively affecting a brand. So I, I think everything we do is, is about de-risking it. And that comes down to giving you or giving the startups the, the right information. What's the first step, Alan? How, how do people get in touch with virtual to find out more and start engaging in this process? Um, so you can check out the website. Um, we have an online chat. Um, it's, it's pretty popular uh, with people. So just jump on and, and chat. You'll chat with somebody in the office. Um, also, we've got an eligibility uh, test on the website. If you fill it out and fill in, leave your details, uh, we'll get in touch very quickly afterwards. If you have set up a profile as well, I think there's an automated email. I think I say from my email itself, uh, where you'll get a, a drag line to me and my email address as well. So um, if, you, if you do anything to do with virtual, you'll, you'll, you'll end up <laughs> with, with in our hands. Yeah, put it that way. Awesome. And, and the website? Oh, it's virtual.com. So B-I-R-C-H-A-L.com. Fantastic. Alan, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. I'd love to get you back sometime in the future, particularly just to talk about how to strategically look at developing a campaign for equity-based crowdfunding if you're open to it, because I think that's a whole other, you know, 45-minute conversation in itself. But thank you very much for coming on the show, and I, I wish you and Virtual all the best. You've certainly won me over. Oh, thank you very much, Brett. Yeah, and uh, I look forward to the next catch-up. Yeah.